Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they, f they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of white wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that, that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Uh, can I invite you to pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you so much for uh, this time together today. And uh, we do pray, Lord God, that as we look at this passage of Scripture now, that you would be opening up our eyes and helping us to uh, see more of why it is that Jesus died for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, this year, the humble Easter egg has found itself in the middle of a a big controversy in, in Britain. Uh, you see, every year, the uh, Cadbury Chocolate Company um, partners with the National Trust in order to host a whole uh, series, a whole set of uh, Easter egg hunts. And apparently, about 350,000 people uh, each Easter flock to a whole variety of National Trust sites that are scattered around uh, Britain in order to hunt down uh, Cadbury Easter eggs. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? I should do it here, I reckon. 
But uh, this year, uh, instead of calling it the Easter egg hunt, they're calling it the Cadbury egg hunt. And um, a few people, lots of people actually have picked up on this and uh, some people have been outraged, others have uh, complained in a more rational manner, but uh, people have complained about this uh, apparent removal of Easter from the eggs. They've taken Easter out of the eggs. They've replaced Easter with Cadbury. Uh, even the uh, Prime Minister of Britain has weighed into the debate and added her uh, comments on it. So, uh, as you can imagine, what's happened is that the Cadbury Public Relations Department have now gone into overdrive. They've uh, gone into some serious damage control, uh, getting their webmasters to ensure that the word Easter appears all over the Cadbury uh, websites and trying to explain to people, well, we're actually not against Easter. Well, I checked at Coles last night and discovered that they don't have uh, Easter written over their eggs and in some of their publications they're calling them seasonal treats instead of Easter eggs. Uh, the, uh, the word they're using uh, in the eggs I checked out is hollow chocolate eggs. How about that? Anyway, it's actually not really an argument about chocolate eggs, is it? Uh, it's, for some people, it's about uh, tradition, it's about uh, culture, and uh, uh, to some extent that it represents a sort of a shift away from uh, Christianity. Uh, someone said that by removing the word Easter, the company was insulting the memory of John Cadbury, who in 1824 was the founder of the company. You see, uh, John Cadbury was a man who believed in Jesus. Uh, one person complained that the company was, and I quote, spitting on his grave. It's harsh words, isn't it? <laughs> Very harsh words and, and actually probably not true because <clears throat> John Cadbury was a, um, was a Quaker. That's a, a, a Christian group. And uh, the Quakers, in, including John Cadbury, his personal view was that people, uh, well, he actually never celebrated Easter. John Cadbury never celebrated Easter because his view was that uh, people should think deeply about the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus every day, uh, not just on a special weekend, not just on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. Now, I'm not sure how he would actually feel about his chocolates being used for Easter eggs. Anyway, I'm very happy to celebrate Good Friday. I am looking forward to the hot cross buns at morning tea after this service. And I'm hoping that I might actually get to eat uh, one of Mr Cadbury's uh, eggs on Sunday, no matter what they're called. But he does have a point, don't you reckon? I reckon he does have a point. Because the death and the resurrection of Jesus are so important that they actually, uh, well, it's not something just to set aside a weekend for. It's, these are events which should uh, impact and affect every day of our lives, uh, not just on Easter. But why? Why is that so? Well, the passage which was read to us earlier is worth looking at. 
Now, you'll note here that um, this passage was written by the Apostle John. And uh, what that means is that uh, this is written by an eyewitness. Uh, John was one of the very few people uh, in all of history who actually uh, was there, who actually saw the crucifixion of Jesus. And as we look at this passage, what we see is that it's therefore a little bit surprising that he doesn't actually say very much about the actual physical event of crucifixion, the, uh, the, uh, the things that happen in a crucifixion, um, the pain, the blood, the suffering and so on, which would have been absolutely dreadful. Uh, in fact, if you have a look at verses 17 to 18, uh, from the first couple of verses there, uh, all he says is that when they, uh, they got to the spot where Jesus was to be crucified, uh, that it says here they crucified him. And that's it. That's the whole description of uh, the actual uh, form of execution. You see, John is not so much interested in how Jesus was crucified. John is more interested in that really critical question, that important question of why Jesus was crucified. And I think that's a vital question uh, because uh, when you think about it all across history, there are countless, there are millions of people who've been unjustly uh, killed. But this is the one unjust execution that we still remember 2,000 years later and which uh, John Cadbury would tell us ought to actually affect every day of our lives. It's a vital question. So what is it therefore that makes the death of Jesus different to every other unjust death in history? Why is his death relevant to us? Well, one of the clues in the passage is the sign which was nailed uh, to the cross, uh, to the cross that Jesus was crucified on. Uh, let me read to you about that. See verse 19 there? I'm just going to read from verse 19 down to verse 22, where it says, Pilate had a notice prepared and, and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. Now, when Jesus' enemies uh, had him arrested, they needed a good excuse to have him executed. And so they, they went and told the Roman, uh, the Roman governor uh, of Judea, whose name was Pilate, that Jesus had claimed to be a king and that therefore he was, was going to lead a rebellion against um, Caesar's rule. Uh, and so this, therefore, is a charge of treason, which under Roman law is, uh, is punishable by death. Now, um, Pilate, he might have been a lot of things, but he wasn't a fool. And Pilate knew that um, 
for Jesus was no threat whatsoever to the power of Caesar. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, this sign that he put up, this sign for him was just a bit of sport. It was a bit of politicking, actually. Uh, because this was the Passover time, and at Passover time there are literally hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over different parts of the world around uh, the Middle East and North Africa uh, were visiting Jerusalem. And so the, the sign that he put up, he put it up in, he wrote it in three languages. Did you see that? Aramaic, that was the common language, that was actually the language that Jesus spoke, Latin and Greek. And what that means is that this sign could be read by everybody who was in Jerusalem at that time, no matter where they came from. So this was Pilate's message to the Jews. What he's saying, here is your king, battered, bloodied, and dying. So guess who's in control? We are. But is that really the case? Was Jesus really helpless? You know, these days, kings and queens have got almost no authority at all. Um, their, their role is a symbolic role. But when we look closely at this passage, <clears throat> we can see that uh, there is a king who is in control. And the question is, who is it who is in control? Who is really in control? Well, three times in this passage, John describes things which happened and he says that they happened so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Um, let me explain it to you. A, a thousand years earlier, uh, there was a psalm written. It was, it's Psalm 22. And it's a psalm which uh, prophesied the, the suffering, the victory, and the everlasting rule of God's king. And here, in verses 23 and 24, you see what happened? The, the soldiers, they, they stripped Jesus naked and they divvied up his clothes. They each took their share of, their, of his clothes. They decided by lots who would get what. Now, that is exactly as Psalm 22 had foretold would happen. Secondly, check out verses 28 and 29. Verse 28, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, um, wine vinegar, that was kind of like the wine, that was cheap wine. That was the wine that soldiers drank. Modern day equivalent, I don't know, five litre cask wine. Uh, you get the idea, uh, clean skin wine. Uh, this was cheap wine. And what's happened here is that some, someone has, uh, Jesus has cried out and said, I'm thirsty. And someone has kindly soaked some wine in a sponge and they've put the sponge on the end of a stick <clears throat> and they've used the stick to get the sponge up to Jesus's mouth so he could actually drink from the wine and quench his thirst. Psalm 22 had prophesied the thirst 
of God's servant at the hands of his enemies. Then thirdly, uh, in verses 36 through to 37, the Old Testament had prophesied that God's king would have no broken bones, but that his body would be pierced. And that was exactly what happened to Jesus. Uh, you see, crucifixion was a dreadful way to die. It was, it was slow. It was um, excruciatingly painful in many ways. And <clears throat> it was uh, the, the way that... Um, it's, not the, it's not the nails that, that kill someone when you're crucified. Uh, with crucifixion, the... The victim hangs on the cross, and as the victim hangs, uh, his, his body slumps. And because his body slumps, that puts pressure on his lungs. It squashes his lungs, so he can't breathe. And so what he needs to do is he needs to uh, push upwards with his legs uh, in order to uh, relieve the pressure from his lungs so that he can breathe. And eventually, uh, hanging there in the, out in the outdoors and sun and uh, all the elements, uh, over a period of two or three days, the person becomes so exhausted that they are just physically unable to push with their legs any longer. And so what happens? They suffocate. That's how crucifixion works. It could take days as the victim struggles to cling on to every breath of life. But the enemies of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders, they, they didn't have days uh, to spare. They couldn't wait that long. Uh, you note that there were two other men who were crucified alongside Jesus, uh, two, uh, two criminals. And the problem was for the Jewish religious leaders that the, the next day was was Saturday, because this was, happened on Friday, and the next day was Saturday, which is the Sabbath. And this was a very special Sabbath because this was the Passover Sabbath. And so the religious leaders could not leave uh, men uh, hanging and dying on a cross uh, on such a holy day. Uh, they considered that that would be unclean, that that would somehow dishonour God to have men hanging on a cross on a holy day. You can see something of their hypocrisy there, can't you? <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they're concerned about not honouring God as they, as they murder an innocent person. So in verse 32, they, they went and got, they got the Roman soldiers to, uh, to smash and to break the legs of the, of the victims so that the victims could no longer push up and therefore that they would... Uh, die straight away through suffocation. However, when they came to Jesus in verse 33, what did they find? Well, they found that he was already dead. He was already dead. Um, and so there was no point in breaking his legs, but for good measure, one of the soldiers decided to shove a spear into the side of his body anyway. Have a look at verse 36. These things happen, says John, so that the scripture would be fulfilled that says not one of his bones will be broken 
And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. How about that, eh? See, the, the sign which uh, Pilate had put up uh, read, The King of the Jews. Uh, it was designed to mock Jesus. And yet actually, what we see here is that this is all going according to plan. But not their plan. This is actually going according to the plan of the one who's really in control. This is according to God's plan. In fact, uh, the reason that Jesus was already dead uh, is because he chose to die. We see that in verse 30. Have a look at that. Uh, they've uh, put the wine vinegar onto the sponge. They've uh, put it onto the stalk, onto the stick. They've lifted it up to Jesus, to his lips. And in verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He wasn't trying to cling on to life, was he? Even though he'd, he'd, he'd taken the, the drink he'd, in, in fulfillment of the scripture. He gave up his spirit. What does that mean? Well, he's not saying, I give up. He's not saying, this is hopeless, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well just... No. Before this, before his arrest and his crucifixion, Jesus had performed great miracles, extraordinary miracles, which showed to people beyond any doubt that that he's no ordinary man, that Jesus was actually God the Son who could heal sick people, who could raise up dead people, who could drive out evil spirits, who could calm down a storm. He was no ordinary man. He was God the Son. And yet despite his greatness, despite the things which he could do, he had kept on telling his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be killed. Because the whole reason that Jesus came was to die. So we come back to that question, why? Why did Jesus die? And to understand that, we need to reflect on our world Indeed, we need to reflect on our own lives. And we all know as we think about our world that um, there's so much in our world that is just incredibly beautiful, that we're so amazed by and we're so thankful to God for. But we also know that our world is, is not the way that it should be. And, you know, you don't have to look very far to see that, do you? Just, just glance back over the news stories over the last week or two uh, what do you what comes to your mind um, for me it's uh, it's little children innocent children uh, dying of, of gas poisoning uh, courtesy of their own government that's not a great thing in the world is it uh, or there's um, uh, tensions uh, great tensions between uh, great powers in our world that are surfacing and bubbling over just in the last week or so. There are threats of nuclear attack that are being made. 
There are real problems in our world. Our world is not the way that God intended. And then there are the more local, everyday problems that we experience uh, in our own lives. And yet, from God's perspective, uh, we all, each one of us, actually contributes to the corruption of the world in our own small way. Uh, we may not be people who feature in newspaper articles, <clears throat> but uh, the reality is that there isn't any of us, none of us, who put God first in our lives. We, we, all, tr we all tend, don't we, to, to want to live our lives, our way, uh, without God. But the Bible says that uh, we rebel against God's right to rule our lives. Now, we may not necessarily see ourselves that way. We might be hard-working, moral, upright people in many ways. And yet we can be so blinded by our pride, can we not? So blinded. I mean, imagine, imagine that there was a video recording of the thoughts that have gone through your head just over this past week. And imagine... I had that video recording on the hard drive of the laptop there. Would you be happy for us to press a button on the big screen? I don't think so. None of us would be. We would all be ashamed. We would all be ashamed. The problem is that uh, we're not even good enough by our own standards. How much more do we fail to meet the standards of our Creator. Friends, the events of Good Friday make it very clear that not one of us is good enough for God. And that is why Jesus deliberately died. For when he gave up his spirit, he did so for us. He did so for you and he did so for me. You see, uh, you and I, we, we all uh, deserve to be, uh, to be punished by God for our sin, for our putting ourselves above God in our lives. And yet, as Christ gave up his spirit, God's judgment, all of God's judgment that, that you and I deserve for our sin, for our rebellion, was actually meted out on Jesus instead of us. He died in our place. He died as a sacrifice for our sin. The death of Jesus means that our punishment has been paid. And because of that, God can now forgive us. But he only forgives those who put their trust in Jesus. And so what about you? Um, perhaps you are someone who already uh, trusts Jesus. That is great. Uh, my recommendation to you is keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. And live your life in, in grateful response uh, to what he's done for you by Jesus dying on the cross. And never shift from that. But maybe you're uh, not quite at that point as yet. Um, you might be someone who uh, is still searching for a degree of peace with God. Uh, you know that you need forgiveness. Well, the great news is that 
every wrong thought, every wrong thing that you've ever done and every way that you have ignored God can be forgiven. The death of Jesus means that all of your sin, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how frequent, no matter how many, all of your sins <coughs> can be forgiven because of what Christ has done. <coughs> now, my guess is that if Mr. Cadbury were alive today, I don't really think he'd particularly care what his eggs were called. Uh, he would care, however, that we have trivialised Easter. For many people, the meaning of Easter has as much substance as those hollow eggs that we'll devour on Sunday. But the death of Jesus has great substance. So my question to you and my hope that it is that over this Good Friday that you'll ask these questions of yourself. Have you trusted that Jesus has paid for your sin? Have you asked God to forgive you? And are you willing to change? And in response, to put God as first in your life. That, friends, is why we call it Good Friday. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your great kindness and mercy to us in sending your son Jesus, the one who was perfect in every way, that he should die on a cross for us, that he should suffer where we should have suffered, that he should pay the penalty for our sin. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to, um, uh, to make that, that truth the, uh, the central aspect of our lives. We pray for uh, each one of us that we would put our trust in Jesus and that we would live in gratitude towards him. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.